Chocolate Jack Yoder? Hi, could I have the uh, Travis Scott meal? What kind of drink? Uh, Dr. Pepper. Anything else? That's it. Thank you. <sighs> Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. This is a, a very interesting start to a Sound Encounters episode. If you were wondering what that clip was at the beginning, you probably already figured it out. I ordered a Travis Scott burger meal at a McDonald's. And uh, yeah, McDonald's, for whatever reason, decided to pair up with Travis Scott and release a limited edition uh, burger, a limited edition meal. And the the news came out like sometime like late last week. And the only thing that went through my mind was why Travis Scott? I mean, I do like his music. I do like the guy. Uh, but it, it, it was just, it seemed like an odd choice that came out of nowhere. The only reason this probably happened is because of a partnership marketing. I, I don't know. It's strange, but I have it here with me right now. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, it says quarter pounder deluxe, 100% pure beef patty, classic toppings, deliciously deluxe. No mention of Travis Scott on this box. Um, and I'm going to guess it is a quarter pounder meal. I actually, I, I did look up the story. I think I, we all saw the story. I think I even retweeted it on, on uh, the Sound Encounters Twitter account at Sound Encounters. Go follow that. Go follow my Twitter account for uh, the latest Sound Encounters news and updates. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll post memes. But anyway, I saw the story on Twitter. A lot of hip hop accounts that I follow retweeted either. Or maybe actually, I, I think I saw the story through Complex. Anyway. I saw that there was a Travis Scott burger. I looked up when it was coming out, but I did not research any other details about the burger. I wanted to try it on the show for the first time without knowing anything about it other than this is a Travis Scott burger. So I see bacon. Oh, I see pickle. Pickles are like one of my favorite things ever. Uh, there's a lot of lettuce. I hope this doesn't spill everywhere. Um, so I'm guessing it's just a quarter pounder with bacon on it um i'm not expecting it to taste all that immaculate but here we go this is a uh, this is for all of you out there who love asmr all right ready i mean yeah that's pretty much what I expected. There's a lot of lettuce. I am a fan of bacon. I love bacon. But I'm not the biggest fan of how this bacon tastes. There's a little bit of fat. A little bit of fattiness in there. Um... 
And I, I like the regular quarter pounder meal. I forgot if I mentioned that already, but I think the bacon takes away from the quarter pounder taste, the the way that the beef tastes. I mean, it's just a quarter pounder meal with bacon. I was hoping that because Travis Scott's name was on it, we would get something, I don't know, something different, something wacky, maybe something Astro World themed. Does he come in with another album soon? I know, I think he, he did the Tenet song because I reviewed it a couple weeks ago, but this is, this is such an odd marketing choice. I mean, honestly, once this promotion is done and they're not selling the Travis Scott burger anymore, you could just literally order a quarter pounder meal, go back home, fry up some bacon, and then just put it on your quarter pounder meal. And there you go. You have the Travis Scott burger. So, um, not all that impressive. I think what might have been impressive is if if McDonald's was just like, here, have this Travis Scott toy along with it, and it'd be like a limited edition uh, collector's whatever. I guess if that were to happen, then they would all be sold out like within hours around like McDonald's across the country. So, um, yeah, that's my take on the Travis Scott burger. I'm going to go finish this. But I do have a great show for you today. Later on in the show, I will be talking about IDM, what that is, and essential albums to get you into the genre. But first, you know the drill. We gotta talk about this past week in music. So this was a pretty dry week with one big release from Detroit rapper Big Sean. But other than that, I didn't see any significant album releases. I do not listen to 6ix9ine. Please, for the love of God, don't make me listen to 6ix9ine. So, because I only listened to one new album this week, I went back and listened to an album that I missed about, well, I think two weeks ago. But I'll get into that later, along with the new Big Sean record, because we gotta go over the singles first. Three singles this past week. The first one being Hit Different by SZA featuring Ty Dolla Sign and the Neptunes. The chorus with Ty Dolla Sign is really catchy. Probably the thing that stuck out to me the most with this song. The beat was banging with this gentle droning keyboard melody in the background. And, and SZA's verse was just top notch. I loved verse 2 where she intentionally made her voice crack at, at every other word. That's just my preference. I know some might feel differently about that and, and what she did there, but this was a good song. And if she's hitting us with another project soon, that'd be nice too. I'm just saying. The second track I heard this week was What They'll Say About Us by Phineas, which features this very melancholic piano melody and, and the lyrics are, are very sweet and inspiring. Phineas sings well. I, I even like how he his voice crescendos during the chorus. It, it is a short song, and I think it, it might have benefited if it was just a tad bit longer. But overall, I liked this new Phineas track. And the last track I heard this week was The Voice by Little Dirk. I thought the production was probably the most interesting part of this track, with it having this, this funky bass and, and soul piano and guitar sample. And then the beat comes in along with Dirk. I didn't mind his flow or vocals. It was a pretty good mellow trap song, one that I, I feel like I see myself returning to in the future. All of these tracks actually were pretty good this week. Hopefully we'll get a new SZA. Hopefully we'll get something new with Phineas, maybe Billie Eilish 
and the new little Dirk single wasn't wasn't that bad. So good week for the singles. Okay, now we get to talk about the LPs. The first album, I guess the only new album that I listened to this week was Detroit 2 by Big Sean. I want to start this review by saying I have never been a fan of Big Sean. I think he's horribly inconsistent. I re-listened to 2017's I Decided. And while there were bangers on that album, like Bounce Back or Halfway Off the Balcony, I even liked No Favors, even though that song was kind of ruined by M's verse. Uh, There were also some shitters on that album, like Moves and Jump Out the Window. And the worst part about that album is that Sean had some bars. He can rap. He has the skill. And I decided was just bogged down with filler and weak bars and weak production. So I was hoping because it's been three years and this new album has gotten a lot of praise on Twitter that Detroit 2 would be a new chapter for Big Sean. Also, this album is 21 songs and 71 minutes long. This is a a very hefty album and he must be confident in these songs and the album to create his longest project to date. So what do I think? I think there are a lot of songs that are good with A plus production and introspective and heartfelt lyrics. But it's again bogged down with these haphazardly thrown together songs with minimal production and vapid bars, which makes this album a very frustrating listen. So let me break this down for you. I think the album starts with some of its strongest songs with Lucky Me and Deep Reverence. The production on both of these songs are stellar, and it's because they are produced by Hipboy, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite current producers. On Lucky Me, we have this piano riff loop, which Hipboy loves, as, as we'll see later on in the album, uh, and this godly beat switch, which is built up midway through the song. The second half is, is more aggressive, and, and Sean steps it up, and his delivery and flow along with Hipboy's production works really well here. I also like how Sean opens up about things he hasn't publicly talked about before, like his misdiagnosis at 19 and having a pacemaker put in. I like how he's able to talk more about his personal life and his music. It adds another layer to Big Sean's music. And Deep Reverence takes that a step further as Sean talks about grieving uh, Nipsey, who has a verse on the song. Sean also talked about how he and his partner, not sure who the partner is, that's not very clear, uh, suffered a miscarriage. And it's difficult to go through something as devastating as that. But he ends the song by saying that his purpose, his music, is to inspire and encourage others. And and that's a good message. That's a message that I can get behind. And I really liked the lyrics to this song. And getting back to Hip Boy's production before, before I move on. Another banging and stellar beat. Not as most creative, but it served its purpose well. But after these two songs, I start seeing issues. Wolves with Post Malone follows Deep Reverence. And while I liked the hook... I thought it was catchy, and it's still stuck in my head. The lyrics and the beat didn't offer much in terms of innovation or introspection. Then we have Harder Than My Demons. That's a song we've all heard before, where the rapper talks about fighting their inner demons and overcoming them. It's a good subject. It can be really well done. It's just overplayed. And Sean doesn't do or say anything remotely original with this song. He does does have a good flow, though. I can say that. This This is not a bad song. Honestly, the next song I could say that I loved in the track list was Guard Your Heart. And the reason I I like it so much is because Hit Boy is back on the beat. Another piano riff loop. This time, it's a bit more soulful. Anderson Pac is featured on this song, which I wish he had more time on it, though. 
And I thought one verse in particular was really good. And it's not even Sean's. It's Wale's. Because Wale takes a shot at Trump and white silence and references the sociopolitical revolution taking place right now in America. So I found his verse the most compelling by a long shot. And I find it frustrating that a featured artist like Wale is outshining Big Sean in his own song and his own project. Big Sean barely references any like rioting or looting going on right now, the protests. He makes several references to COVID and I mean, it's just ending the pandemic or or whatever. And I always disliked those types of additions in current songs because it's not creative. You're all saying the same thing. You want the pandemic to end. We all want the pandemic to end. So so something like that is just so frustrating to hear from Big Sean. And as I listened to more of this album, I felt myself drifting in and out of, of, of my interest because a lot of these songs were just okay. I mean, you could have a Lithuania or, or Full Circle, but the production is top notch, but the verses don't match that. Or a, a feed or the baddest where Sean has a decent or, or fire flow, but the production just isn't there. Or you have a body language, which is just as an appealing in the slightest and was actually really boring. Also, what's the deal with Friday Night Cypher? There's there's so many people on this track. The beat switch is like 10 times throughout the song, which is nine minutes long, and I barely remember it. The rappers weren't really saying anything, and it was, it was cool in the moment when the beat changed and the rapping became more aggressive and fast-paced, but it's cool in the moment, and it doesn't stick with me after the, the song ended. To wrap it up, Detroit 2 has its moments. Listen to songs like Lucky Me, Deep Reverence, or, or Guard Your Heart. Even something like Wolves or The Baddest, if you want something more catchy or visceral. But for the most part, a lot of these songs, the beats, the bars, are just forgettable. Which is a shame, because I want to like Big Sean. I want to like these songs. There have been songs in the past, definitely on I Decided, where... I was like, I like these songs, but the album as a whole is very inconsistent. And, and when you have that, it's really hard to like a rapper or, or see the value of that rapper in the bigger picture. Detroit 2 didn't really change my mind. I still think Big Sean is a rapper with a lot of potential that he just can't seem to tap into. And hopefully, whenever he drops his next project, he is able to spend some time crafting bars and verses selecting better producers i really did like a lot of the songs where hit boy was featured on production i'm just so sick and tired of the generic trap beat and hit boy brings a lot of creativity into the mix as we've seen on king's disease the new nas album but this new detroit 2 project was just okay and then the other album that i listened to was released two weeks ago this went under my radar i guess it makes sense because i'm not really much of a fan of Katy perry and her new album, Smile. So because I am not a fan of Katy Perry, uh, this was a struggle to get through. But I mean, that's not to say that I've liked some of her songs in the past. She has her soaring and empowering pop anthems. And admittedly, I have been a fan of some of her songs like Firework or California Girls. They are fun pop songs. And I have some great memories associated with those songs, especially since they came out when I was in middle school. But yeah, she has a, a knack for creating a catchy and entertaining pop song that'll chart and get a ton of plays. Uh, uh, but no, I wouldn't call myself a fan. So so didn't have high expectations for this one. And, and yeah, Smile is just a redundant, 
low-effort pop album that felt longer than it actually was. This album's 36 minutes long with only 12 songs, and it, and it just felt longer than even Detroit 2, which was 71 minutes long. And I think part of that is due to the fact that a lot of these songs go for this stale, overdone 80s dance pop sound around the title track and champagne problems i just wanted the album to be over already i'm I'm so over this sound what's so funny is that katie knows how to make a catchy hook so the hook to champagne problems is is haunting me right now i can at least give that to her but there's there's nothing interesting about the danceable synth melodies we've heard this so many times and you know as i continue to listen to it i i start to realize this is more of an album for katie She's, she's made this album for herself. Because on songs like Resilient, she's singing about how resilient she is and how brilliant she is. The, the brilliant line made me think it, it was just her being cocky, and that took away from the empowering line of her being resilient. But, but maybe it's because I'm not a fan, but these lyrics just went through me and I, I didn't feel anything while listening to this song. And usually just with her vocal performance alone, I could at least feel the emotional peak because she can get to that higher register and invoke at least something inside of me. Daisy's got pretty close to doing that. Uh, I I didn't mind the song. Her vocal melody was okay with those vocal peaks being the highlight of that song. But it it felt so stagnant to me that I just didn't care whenever she, she hit those peaks. I actually think the album starts off with some of its best songs. We've got Never Really Over and Cry About It Later. There's a pulsating and catchy synth melody on Never Really Over that that had some energy to it, and her vocals match that energy. It's a pretty decent dance pop song. And Cry About It Later had a rumbling synth melody that jumped into a danceable melody during the hook. And her vocals were also fine during the hook. But the problem comes with thinking about how it might be the best on the album, but it's not something that I would return to. Frankly, a lot of Katy Perry's songs that I just wouldn't return to. Maybe with the exception of Firework, I get that song kind of stuck in my head a lot. That That is actually a pretty good uh, pop anthem. But Katy Perry just does not deliver on this record. And because of that, we get a very forgettable album. All right, so that does it for this past week in music. Stay tuned, because coming up, I'll be going over IDM and five albums to get you into IDM. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I promised that I was going to add another entry into my What Is Genre series i guess i can call it that the what is genre series and for this week i would go over what is idm idm is a pretty difficult genre label to describe and and a very controversial one idm describes an experimental side to dance music that emerged in the early 90s an idm artist could take dance music and put their own spin on it whether focusing on ambient music or focusing heavily on the beats or incorporating other genres like jazz or hip-hop. Really, IDM is an abstract and unorthodox take on electronic dance music. The I in IDM stands for intelligent, so intelligent dance music, uh, which has gotten a lot of criticism, and rightly so, because listening to 
intelligent music because listening to intelligent music is so pretentious and degrades other genres of music. Artists that would be labeled as IDM artists have denounced the term, calling it silly or or just hating on the term. The issue is that the term just stuck. I personally like the name abstract dance music ADM, another genre label with the word abstract in it, or brain dance as Aphex Twin, which we'll talk about in a moment, has has called it. IDM takes inspiration from electronic and rave music styles such as techno, acid house, ambient music, and breakbeat. But you will see with my list of essential IDM albums, IDM could experiment with so much more. And it is a tricky label at times. There's certain albums and certain artists that I at first wouldn't have called them IDM, but listening to it more and learning more about their inspirations and their styles, I was just like, okay, this is IDM. And it is very difficult at times to label it. But enough about that. Here are my five essential IDM albums. At number one, we have Selected Ambient Works 85 through 92 by Aphex Twin, released in 1992. If you have any passing interest in electronic music, then you would know that Aphex Twin needs no introduction. Richard E. James is one of the more, if not most, prominent and influential artists in the IDM genre. He really set the groundwork for this genre and, and, and created what we now know as contemporary IDM music. Which is funny, because Selected Ambient Works is by no means an ambient album, although there are some tracks that create these sparse environments and has more of a focus on the mood or the tone of that song. But this is considered by many, me included, the definitive IDM album. It uses rhythmic dance beats, synthesizers, keyboards, and bass lines to create these ethereal and hypnotic melodies that can also make you bob your head and maybe tap your toe. And that's exactly what IDM, you know, is. It, it It's somewhat danceable music where you're just not focused on the rhythms and the synths. You can appreciate the atmospheres or the feeling that it also creates. Crystal kicks off the record with these hi-hat samples accompanied by a subdued synth line that's breathtaking. Then Richard introduces the pulsating bass drum rhythm that adds a danceable quality to the, the song now. The, uh, then he brings in a different drum rhythm and, and tops it off with another synth line with that lax and calming feeling to it. Throughout the song, he'll insert these new sections and take them away and bring them back so the song sounds like it's always shifting and it never gets stale or boring. And that's the real genius of this song is that it sets the stage for the rest of the album, ever-changing, constantly shifting, not staying in one place for too long. You know, you could have a song like Pulsed With, which is very house-inspired with its icy synth chord sequence and catchy bass drum rhythm. This is actually one of the more danceable songs on the record. Or you could have Scotchkey's Seventh Path with its creeping synth chords, pounding drum beat, and industrial-sounding effects injected all over the song. The most interesting parts of this song is, is when he takes away both the synth chords and the drum beat, and all is left is this calming ambient pad before he slowly brings in the chords and, and the beat back in. A cut that definitely displays Richard's creative and experimental techniques and talent. Another track that does this is Helios Fan, 
which begins with this soothing ambient pad that glides through the song. This breakbeat drum rhythm kicks in, and the ambient pad includes these somber, descending tones. A track that is both somewhat danceable, but plays with mood and atmosphere. And like I said, this album also has its tracks that would be classified as ambient. I is a short and relaxing track with a single ambient pad that plays for a minute. And Fa is a nine-minute long track that focuses on an ominous 808 beat, but it's joined by these synth bass line that provides the rhythm and a calming ambient pad. It's the longest song on the record, but it justifies its length as it's changing and shifting constantly throughout its nine-minute runtime. This is 100% an electronic masterpiece. After listening to this for the first time, I understood why Aphex Twin was hailed as a master in the genre. I Care Because You Do was actually my first Aphex Twin album, and I didn't understand it at the time, but but now with the context of the genre and spending time with, with it, I love that album as well. Richard D. James' album is another great Aphex Twin album and another great album to get you versed in the genre. But that also focuses on drill and bass, which we'll get to uh, soon. And if you liked Thaw and I and want an actual ambient album from Richard, listen to the follow-up album, Selected Ambient Works Volume 2. It's packed with ambient vignettes and who knows, I wouldn't mind talking about this album in the future. At number two, we have Music Has a Right to Children by Boards of Canada, released in 1998. Boards of Canada are a Scottish electronic duo consisting of, of brothers Mike Sanderson and, and Marcus Aon. Music Has a Right to Children is their debut album, and it's one of the most beloved albums in the IDM genre. They might not be as iconic as, let's say, Aphex Twin, but they went on to inspire artists like Tim Hacker, Leyland Kirby, Fortet, to name a few. And they bring this ominous darkness to their music that I don't think any of my other picks on this list does, or at least does as well. There's an uneasiness to most of these tracks. An Eagle in Your Mind, the first real track on the album, begins with these forbidding scents that are constantly swirling and creating this unfriendly melody. It sounds like an alien spacecraft circling above your head, deciding whether or not it's going to abduct you. There's also these down-tempo syncopated beats, vocal sampling that can be creepy at times, especially when the melody and beat are cut off and we hear someone say, I love you, but the audio has been like heavily altered. Then there's a track like Aquarius, which is riddled with these interesting effects. There's a mellow ambient pad that plays along with the cowbell and, and funky bass slap sample. But what really stands out about this track is the strange sampling of an old man and, and children saying orange. I was enjoying the lax mood it was setting up, but then these vocal samples uh, were strange enough to like rattle my jimmies. But this song has its surprises as halfway through the track, these drum beats kick in and a twinkling keyboard melody plays for a second. And as a woman, this text-to-speech female-sounding sample starts counting up. The ambient pad seems to become more prominent, and it just, like, washes over the rest of the song. It's a relaxing yet very strange arrangement, but it kept it interesting, and I never felt bored throughout the song. 6010 has an overblown bass beat, murky synth loops, and more vocal samples that loop as well. These ominous synths also start to rise in the background, and that gives me that uneasy feeling again. Honestly, a, a very danceable track if it weren't for the sinister undertones. Then there are times when, where the record seems to lighten up. Rule the World begins with an entrancing synth loop, and 
breakbeat drum rhythm, samples of, of birds chirping. It's a track that's very hip-hop inspired. Halfway through the song, the synth loops stop and it's replaced by these off-kilter synth flutes. I liked how the song switched things up and it made for a more dynamic listen. Pete standing alone opts for a more melancholic mood as the somber synth chords play with a warm ambient pad and a banging, crunching beat. While the track doesn't really evolve as much, it still manages to be one of the more interesting tracks on the album. And of course, the album ends with Open the Light, which switches between these two lush and meditative synth textures, almost as if it's to alleviate the rest of the album's haunting and eerie atmosphere. The longer tracks are, are, are sometimes divided by these shorter passages. Two of the more notable uh, shorter tracks are Bacoma and Roji Biv. Bacoma has these looping synth chords that are comforting and haunting. Uh, it's a very memorable melody, and that smoothly transitions into Roy G. Biv. It's a great track with contrasting moods, as it has these menacing synths played with these bright synth and keyboard chords, and a sample of a child. There's a lot of samples of children, as it kind of correlates with the name of the album, Music Has the Right to Children. The reason I keep coming back to Boards of Canada, and this record specifically, is their mastery of creating an ominous mood in their music. Their music also seems to be a bit more nostalgic as well, but but there there's always something lurking in the shadows, even in their deceptively bright and good-natured tracks. Their 2002 follow-up record, Geogadi, does an even better job at capturing this feeling, so go check that out as well, because that's another amazing Boards of Canada record. At number three, I have Try Repite by Ottecker, released in 1995. Ottecker is an English duo hailing from Manchester. The duo consists of Sean Booth and Rob Brown. This is their third full-length release, and this album is characterized by its minimal and repetitive percussion patterns and its spacious landscapes. This album is very machine-like with its industrial-sounding rhythms, but it also manages to create these Again, spacious and, and luscious soundscapes. I chose this Autecker album because it amazed me with how, despite most of these beats sounding harsh, it still created these catchy rhythms that also happened to steal the spotlight from the melodies that, du that the duo created. And part of me thinks that it might have been intentional. Because taking a look at a song like Lateral or Rotar, the main thing that stands out on these songs are the incessant clanging and drilling beats and usually they have this, these frail synth lines that sit underneath the rhythm and yeah despite rodar's unrelenting banging it's the reason why i return to this song a lot they do a lot of interesting stuff with beat and melody throughout the album while clipper has this, that metallic jagged beat the mix of this anemic synth line with these brooding synths that rise and fall repeatedly makes it one of the more dynamic listens on the record, one where I can enjoy both the melody and the rhythm. Clipper is also a great example of how their songs don't really evolve or shift. The duo tends to stack layers on top of layers on this record. Utah also does this as it begins with these gentle synth loops which are met with these menacing synth lines and then finally are joined by the, the this catchy fast tempo syncopated beat the duo tones it back a bit for the penultimate track overrand which which doesn't have a beat and mainly focuses on this lulling keyboard loop for seven minutes and 33 seconds and that's basically the whole song Normally I would find this type of song boring, but I actually enjoyed the relaxed nature of it and its placement in the track list was, was much needed. 
And then we get to the closing track, Rizdio, which ends the record on a high note. Much like Clipper, the duo crafts a song where I can appreciate both the melody and the rhythm. The skittering percussion line is very intriguing and the harsh synth tones seem to stab through the beat. Try Repeat might be one of the best introductions to this genre, but it's also a great intro to Autekker's discography, which spans three decades. And they also have some albums that clock in at over two hours long, those fucking maniacs. But if you want your mind blown, check out the rest of their work. At number four, we have Hard Normal Daddy by Square Pusher, released in 1997. All right, time to talk about drill and bass. Tom Jenkinson's, aka Square Pusher's, second full-length album deals with intricate and fast-tempo drum beats. Combine these patterns with synth and keyboard melodies, and you got drill and bass. This subgenre of IDM was actually pioneered by the likes of Square Pusher and Aphex Twin in the mid-90s, and that's why I was talking about the Richard D. James album by Aphex Twin. It's very important to talk about, and that's particularly why I chose this album. If you want a great example of a drill and bass rhythm, look no further than Beep Street. There's a frenetic frenzy to this drum beat, which gives this track its energy. Without the percussion, it would be a soothing, dreamy, electronic song with its warm synth line and an equally pleasant keyboard melody. But once this very rapid beat is added in, it begins to propel this song at a mock speed. Or you could have the complex beat of Fat Controller, which suits the tone of this song as it features this crunchy and moody bass synth loop along with a bass guitar. Then there's the very aggressive and irregular beat of Chin Hippie. This track is just 3 minutes and 16 seconds of absolute madness. Purely driven by the beat and claustrophobic, I would argue. Probably the most visceral experience you'll get from this album, which I like it because it adds a bit of variety to the album that's already rich in diversity. And speaking of, I've withheld talking about another wonderful aspect of this record, which is its heavy jazz and funk-inspired melodies. Right off the bat, the album opens with Cooper's World, a smooth combination of a jazzy synth keyboard melody, funky bass guitar, and manic percussion. I went into this album aware that Square Pusher was an IDM artist, so this opener was quite the shock to me. But the more I listened to it, the more impressed I was at how smoothly he was able to fuse these genres so seamlessly, as well as make some catchy-ass melodies. Papalan is another genius moment on the record. This song is, is 8 minutes and 10 seconds long. The dual set keyboard melody, along with the bass guitar and saxophone, stand out immediately, but it's driven by an energetic drum pattern that ties everything together in a neat little bow. An influential and diverse album in the IDM genre, and an album that keeps on giving as I make new little discoveries whenever I put this record on. That's how you know you're dealing with greatness. And for this last entry in the list, I'm going to go for something a bit more recent. At number five, we have Los Angeles by Flying Lotus, released in 2008. Stephen Ellison, aka Flying Lotus, is a producer, musician, DJ, filmmaker, and a rapper from LA. I also chose this album because uh, all the other artists on this list are from the UK. And uh, let's give a uh, let's give America some love. Let's get some influence from America. This album is named after his home city, and it's his second full-length project. And it is a great example 
of his unique blend of hip-hop beats and electronic textures. After listening to this album, you can tell that he's been influenced by the likes of Jay Dilla and Aphex Twin. He's also well-known for his cosmic and exotic soundscapes. Beginner's Falafel has these funky bass synths and a rhythmic beat, but an otherworldly keyboard loop keeps getting injected into the song and, and takes this song to the stratosphere. Or we have a song like GNG BNG, which samples this Indian pop song or melt with its tribal drum patterns. So as you can hear, Flylo takes a lot of influences and mashes them together with his astrological aesthetic. But this is still an IDM album, so we gotta talk about the elements that make it an IDM album. Both Melt and GNG BNG are beat-driven songs. Like I said, Melt has this tribal drum pattern, but the bass boosts the depth of that percussion and, and it feels fuller and groovier. And GNG BNG's rhythm is heavy on the bass, making this one hell of a hip-hop and electronic banger. But then about a minute and a half into the song, it transformed into this grand drum and bass rhythm with revving synths played alongside it. Camel is another beat-driven song as it focuses on the metallic clanging pattern and the drum beat. We also hear this soaring synth line that only appears twice in the song for like 30 seconds, which reminds me of Richard D. James's work adding and taking away individual parts whenever he feels like it. Add some unpredictability to the song as well. Breathe, something stellar star is another wonderful fusion with its hip-hop beat and warm synth line alongside the warbled sound effect. And by far my favorite cut off this album is Golden Diva with its banging club beat, ethereal synths, and its bleeps and bloops. At some point, the song morphs into this shapeless ambient piece as that beat disappears. Then a moment later, the beat is added back and grounds the song again. It made for a dynamic listen that held my attention despite the song being only four minutes long. This album is a hell of a ride from start to finish. Los Angeles sounds like one long song due to each song smoothly transitioning into the next. And it's an important album in the genre because it shows us how artists are reinventing or creating their own style of IDM and how they are fusing it with genres like hip-hop. I guess we can thank Boards of Canada for that as well. I think this fusion helped the longevity of IDM, and that's why we haven't seen it die out as quickly as other niche subgenres of music. Aphex, Square Pusher, and Autekker are still making music today, but an artist like Flylo will help push the next generation of IDM. And with that, that completes my list of essential IDM albums. To recap, we have selected ambient works, 85 through 92 by Aphex Twin. Music Has a Right to Children by Boards of Canada. Try Repite by Autekker. Hard Normal Daddy by Square Pusher, which is a funny name. And Los Angeles by Flying Lotus. What are some of your favorite IDM albums? What are some of your favorite IDM artists? Let me know. I'm on Twitter at Sound Encounters. You could tweet at me. Or you could send a message to my anchor, anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters. Let me hear your thoughts. Let me hear your opinions. I'd love to continue this IDM discussion. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to, to go out and buy your, your Travis Scott burgers and tell the, uh, those poor McDonald's employees that Cactus Jack sent you. Um, oh God, there's actually a really funny video on Twitter that I actually retweeted on the at Sound Encounters Twitter account. Go follow that. Uh, of this guy saying that Cactus Jack sent him and uh, it, it's pretty cringy, 
but I like that cringy humor. It's that's kind of that's my kind of humor. But if you want to go see that, follow follow the sound sound encounters Twitter. Excuse me, and uh, while you're at it, follow the uh, follow the Instagram account at Sound Encounters. Um, that'd be greatly appreciated. Next week, I think I am going to do a guide on another band. This band has been releasing music since the '90s, so. Uh, that really whittles it down to a small number, but stay tuned for that because I'm sure that episode will be exciting. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.